Anybody likes to preach? Anybody like a preaching pastor? Amen. Also want to let you guys know that as we're going through this vision today, it's also found in the 201 book. So those of you who are getting turned on to this and you're going, man, I want to learn more about loving God, loving people, just get the book back there. Pick it up if you can't afford it. It's F-R-E-E free PDF form on the Internet, or we'll give you the black and white one. Amen? So I want everybody to stay in this vision for the rest of the year and the rest of your life. Can you say live? Amen. We're talking today about loving God, loving people. Look at Mark chapter 12. Today we're going to finish it off with loving people. Last week we talked about loving God, and we're going to review that in just a moment. But I want you to turn to this passage because Jesus said it best. Nobody can say it like Jesus. Look at what he said. One of the teachers of the law came and heard him debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? So right now Jesus is being asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? What is the most important thing we should do? And look at what Jesus says. The most important one is... Is this hero Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one everybody say the Lord is one praise God now we talked about that last week the word one ahad in Hebrew means to be one in nature that does not necessarily mean one in personhood God is the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit that does not make him three because he is one God a lot of times people stumble over this because they say point to an example in nature that is three in one. The Bible actually forbids us to try to point to things in nature that point to God. That is called idolatry. So God reveals himself to us in the scripture and we believe it. We see that the Father reveals himself as God. He speaks and acts as God. But then also we see that Jesus acts as God. He was not born on Christmas. He was not born 2,000 years ago. We see from the very beginning Abraham met with the one called Jehovah face-to-face in the plains of Mamre in Genesis chapter 18. But yet the Bible says no one can see God. So who is the God that showed up with Abraham and met with him face-to-face? Just go to your Bible, look at it right now, Genesis 18, the visitation that, uh, that Abraham had. It even says that he washed his feet. He washed God's feet. It says that he prepared God a meal. God ate a meal with him. Then the Bible says that Abraham moves on down the road, and the two angels go to Sodom and Gomorrah, and then, the God, then God, the Bible says, talks to Abraham face-to-face. Everybody go, that's deep. See, now we have a contradiction here. How does God meet with Abraham, and yet the Bible says no one has seen God? And how does this begin to happen? You look in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, you see, you have to be able to go back into the Old Testament and see Jesus. He did not just appear in the New Testament. You go to Daniel chapter 7, just thumb through it and look at it right now. Here, Daniel's a prophet. He's living in the country of Babylon. He's praying three times a day facing Jerusalem. And God then says to him, I'm going to give you a vision and show you who I am. The Bible says the Ancient of Days, the Father comes on a cloud, and then next to him comes the Son of Man. And then the Ancient of Days says to the Son of Man, all the angels and all creation will worship him, and I will give him dominion over all the earth. Well, guess what Daniel said as a, as a strict monotheistic person who only saw God as one person. You keep reading Daniel chapter 7. He said, I was troubled by the vision that I saw. 
He did not even understand. But yet you further go on to Isaiah, and then Isaiah begins to prophesy. Isaiah chapter 9, to us a child will be born, and to us a son is given. He shall be called Emmanuel. That means God with us. He shall be called Everlasting Father and Counselor. How is this person being born, being given the same title as the Father, and being called God with us? How? Because Jesus has always existed as God with the Father. As long as the Father has always been God, so has Jesus been God. And then the third person, the triune God, the Holy Spirit. Where do you see the Holy Spirit? Go to Genesis chapter 1. Looking at Genesis chapter 1, what was over the face of the earth at that time? The Spirit of the Lord. Then you go to the Psalms and it says that I, through my Spirit, created the heavens and the earth. And then the Bible says that God says, we shall make man in our image. Our image. Some people try to call this the majestic plural, that he's just speaking we on behalf of his nation. But that wouldn't make any sense because in the Bible, he is not speaking on behalf of anybody except himself. And then when he says our image along with we, we now know that God must be more than one in personhood. Because when he created Adam, out of Adam he made Eve and he called them one man. See, that's a little deep. You've got to follow through this. The Bible says when he created Adam, then he created Eve out of Adam, and together Adam and Eve became one man. And that's why we still see to this day when we become married, two become one. They become one in God's mind because out of his nature, he is plurality. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, more than just one in personhood. Now, don't get confused. I have all of these things written down. But I want you to understand when the Bible says the Lord is one, that's what it says. He is one being. I am not worshiping God the Father as one God, Jesus as God, and the Holy Spirit as God. That's what Mormons do. They say one, two, three gods. That's not what we do. We are just like the Jewish people. We say we worship one God. But who is that one God? He is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's enough to get you to chew on something this week. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, that's deep. Amen. Let's keep on going. Then he says, verse 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's what we talked about last week. Everybody say, love God. So the greatest commandment is this, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Everybody say, love God and love people. Amen. Thank you. Now I want to just review with you what we talked about last week to ask you the question, do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? How will you know? When you look throughout the Bible, you'll see that love for God comes with worship and adoration. It's not just reciting prayers. When he said the Our Father, right before he said the Our Father, he said, do not pray like the pagans pray because they mindlessly repeat prayers over and over and over again. And then he said, this is how you ought to pray, our Father which art in heaven. And guess what people did? They now pray that over and over and over again. They missed the point. Look at your neighbor and say, they missed it, Bubba. You see, they missed the point. They missed it. I am not here today to teach you a prayer, the Lord's Prayer. You know what? If you really want to know the Lord's Prayer, don't look to Matthew chapter 6 because that's really a prayer for the disciples. Look to John 17 because that's when Jesus has a prayer as Lord to his Father. And he says, give me back the glory that I once had. Take care of my disciples. That's truly the Lord's Prayer. Are you with me? When he was teaching us how to pray, that was for disciples to pray. 
And when I look at that prayer, you know how I look at it? I look at it like a workout routine. Because you and I know if you go to the gym, you got to do something for your arms. you got to do something for your legs. Come on, ladies. Somebody say amen. Okay, guys, fellas. Somebody say whoop, whoop. Okay, so you got to do all these workout routines. Well, I look at the Lord's Prayer as a workout routine. When he said, Our Father which art in heaven, he's not saying every time you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven. But every time you pray, you should acknowledge who your God is. So, Our Father which art in heaven, God, I'm speaking to you, the one true God. You know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every time I pray, it should always be about the kingdom of God coming and the kingdom of God coming from the heaven to earth. So when I pray for my job, it's about the kingdom of God coming through my job. Give us our daily bread. I'm praying for blessings because the blessings that I need in all these areas are not just for me. It's plural, our, our daily bread. It's not just us four and no more. Are you listening? So every time I get into prayer, I want to kind of go through that, that workout routine. You know, our Father, which are in heaven, hallowed be your name. Start off by praising God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Make your prayers all Christ-centered, cross-eyed. See everything through the cross. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. Always ask God to cleanse and forgive you. Are you seeing the workout routine of prayer? Love and adore God. Worship God. How many went into the Psalms this week and were blessed? Anybody? Two of you, three of you, amen, four, five, six, I got a seven, 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 eight, eight, eight. Okay, praise God. Maybe ten, 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 baby. When you look at the Psalms, what do you see? Songs unto God. That's all that word Psalms mean. And what do you see? Songs to God. So when we worship God, John chapter 4, verse 23 says, worship him in spirit and in truth. So you're worshiping God with your spirit. You're not just repeating prayers. You're not praying to saints. You're not just bowing down and doing some act. You're doing it with your spirit. It is spontaneous. When you talk to me, you don't read a script. Why would you read a script to God? Are you listening? God is more of a personality than you and I could ever be. And then secondly, you worship him in truth. You worship who he is. Your God is not the God of the nations. Your God is not make-believe. Some people say, well, my God would never judge somebody like that. You're right. Your God never would because he doesn't exist. He's make-believe in your mind. Because the God of the Bible would judge you like that, sister. The God of the Bible would judge you like that, brother. So don't make an idol of what you think God is. Sometimes I think about this as when those, those girls in those movies, you know, they get the puppy. He's a masculine puppy, but then they want to put makeup on him, little boots and all of that. And then the little girls go, hey, this is our puppy. And then everybody gets a little scared. They go, that's a boy puppy. He doesn't want to dress like that. And I think of that sometimes like we do that with Jesus. We say, here's Jesus. He's little doctor love Jesus. He's nice, cute, and cuddly Jesus. He's studly Jesus. He always understands when we mess up Jesus. My friends, that is an idol. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. So when you worship God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as one, you're worshiping him with your spirit, and you're worshiping him in truth. And the Bible says he is love and he is holy. And those two, ju- those two attributes of his nature have everything else flow through them. Are you listening? And then second, you learn that to love God is to obey his commands. Jesus said it over and over and over again. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will obey my teachings. Even in the Old Testament, they said, today we've given you a choice, a choice of blessing or curse. If you obey these things, you'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when you come and blessed when you go. Come on. You know, you got to be blessed. Look at your neighbor and say, blessed. 
You see, you can be blessed if you obey God, but then he said you'd be cursed in the city, cursed in the field, cursed when you come, cursed when you go. If you disobey him, look at your neighbor and say, cursed. So don't be cursed, be blessed. Amen? So that was last week's lesson in review. If you love God, you're going to worship and adore him, and you're going to obey his commands. Today, let's talk about what it means to love people. Here are the different types of people that you're going to see in your life. I'm going to get to in just a moment, but I want you to see these definitions first of the passage we just read. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. First, the word love is agape. Everybody say agape. Now, here it gets a little deep for my super spiritual folks here, because a lot of times you think of agape as agape love. That's just God's love. Nobody can be perfect and have agape love. No, you're supposed to have agape love. That is the same Greek word that says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That same word that God had for you that he would send Jesus is the same love you're supposed to have towards your neighbor. Because if you look at your neighbor and say, I don't have to love you, only God does. There's a problem. Hello, there is a problem. No, you do have to love your neighbor and not even just love them in some made-up way that you think about love. No, you have to love them as God loves them. The next word that you see is neighbor, pelson. Everybody say pelson. And neighbor simply means any other person. That's where we get the word people, so we don't say the loving God, loving your neighbor. Because that would just sound a little weird, right? Loving your neighbor. But we understand neighbor to mean any other person besides me. So look at your neighbor and say, you're my neighbor. Look at the person behind you and say, so are you. Look at the person on the other side and say, don't get jealous because so are you. <laughs> so your neighbor is literally anybody other than you. So unless you're dealing with multiple personalities, it, it's, it's not you. It can never be. Your neighbor is somebody else. Everybody say somebody else. And then yourself, everybody say sieto. Say sieto. Thank you. And it means you yourself. So here is the trick. Sometimes we miss this. Agape, have strong feeling and emotion towards somebody other than you, but do it as you would unto you. We miss that because sometimes we want to love or treat people as they deserve. Oh, it's going to get real, real right now. It's going to get really real. Somebody say it's tight, but it's right. We need to love people as we want to be loved ourselves. So now you have to go through every action of your life and filter it through yourself. How would you feel if somebody talked to you that way? How would you feel if somebody called you those names? How would you feel if you didn't show up at somebody's appointment? Now, the other part of this that we don't understand is that sometimes people are really loving you as much as they love themselves. And I'll tell you why it's pitiful. It's not a real love. You know why? Because they don't love themselves. You see, when Columbine happened, when the shootings happened in uh, Arizona, that person doesn't even love themselves. So how can they love others as themselves? So here you're seeing that Jesus is taking it for granted that before you can love somebody else, you first have to love yourself. 
Now, you might be asking the question, well, where does this all fit in? Where, where it fits in is when you love God and you worship and adore him and keep his commands, he shows you in that worship how much he loves you. And so you don't have a self-identity. You have a God identity. You don't think about yourself even the way you see yourself in the mirror. You look at yourself the way your daddy in heaven looks at you. And you don't even believe what your neighbor has to say about you. You believe what the Bible says about you, that you're more than a conqueror. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That you're the head and not the tail above and not beneath. You're the first and not the last. Hallelujah. You are chosen. You're a holy priesthood. You are called out. So you've got to look at who God says you are in that worship time. How many of you have been worshiping God and at that same time you telling him how much you love him? He's telling you how much he loves you. Because it goes circulatory. It, once it just starts that way, God brings it right back and it goes right back to him, back to you, back to him. I love you. Well, I really, really love you. I think you're great. Well, I really think you're great. That's what God does. The Bible says we first loved him because he loved us. So now going out to my neighbor, I truly can't treat my neighbor as I ought to until I understand who God says I am and love God. Hence the reason for so many problems and people treating each other the way they ought not to, and they may even make the excuse and say, well, that's the way I, I would treat myself. The reason why they don't know how to treat you any better is because they don't know who God said they are. So that's why you got to look at them and say, you just don't know no better. Look at your neighbor and say, sometimes they don't know. See, they were crucifying Jesus. Why? Because they didn't know no better. Jesus looked at them and said, Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they do. They know not what they do. Your coworker, when they talk crazy like that, doesn't even know what they're doing. When people around you treat you bad, they don't know what they're doing. They think they're taking it out on you. But really the way they're acting towards you is showing the cancer that's on the inside of them. And when they're hurting you on the outside, you can only imagine how much they're really hurting on the inside. And then when you see them hurt you and the people around you at work and job, imagine how much they're hurting the people that are closest to them. Because messy people cause messes and hurt people hurt people. And that's why you've got to get healed in God's presence by loving him. Then you can love your neighbor as yourself because you're not in pride. You're not cocky. You're just saying, I'm special. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I know what God made me to be, and I'm going to treat people out of that image, out of the image of God. I'm not going to treat them how they deserve. I'm going to treat them according to how they've been created because they are precious in his sight. Red, yellow, black, and white. Amen. Everyone is precious in his sight. Jesus loves all the little children of the world. And that's what we need to do to change this thing around is love God and love people. Can you say amen? Thank you. Now let's go on to some of these people that you need to love in your life today. The people that you're loving, switch it for me, brother, are three different types of people. The first different types of people are your family. Everybody say family. Amen. The second type are your friends. Everybody say friends. Amen. How many like a little southern in, this, in, in the north? Y'all ever like that? Amen. Come on. And somebody say community. Thank you. This is the circle of love. I, miss, I wish I could have made it a little bit better, but this is how it works. God is expecting you to start loving the people closest to you. So many times we've heard it say the ones who know us the best hurt us the worst. We know that's true because of experiences, but the ones that have hurt us the worst could also heal us the best. And we can get closest to these people. Why? Because we live with them. So I want to go down the row right here and give you some ways to love people. The first thing is husband and wife. That's where I'm going to start with. If you're married today, the Bible says you need to love a husband's your wife as Christ does the church. 
Now, husbands, if you're here and your wife's next, you just look at him and say, I love you like that, baby. Come on, I love you like that. Come on, tell her, I love you like Jesus loves you. Now, think about how much Jesus loved the church. Did Jesus tell the church to do its laundry? Did Jesus tell the church just to iron his clothes? Come on, fellas, don't get quiet on me now. Don't stop shouting because I'm preaching good, amen? Did, did Jesus tell the church to make him some food? No, no, no. What did Jesus do for his church? He laid down his life. So the most ultimate thing that the husband needs to do for his wife is put her as the queen of the castle. Make her feel special. Make her feel loved. Let the whole house revolve around her. It's okay. Happy life, happy wife. I get it, baby. I got. Where's my wife at? Amen. Somebody clap for her. Amen. Clap for her. Now, I'm telling you, when, it, when the man has it down like that, I've heard people tell me, nothing against romantic men, nothing against those who just want to be romantic, show up with roses, but my experience, nine times out of ten, is the men who are romantic are trying to make up for doing, uh, not doing something during the year. I want to talk to you, fellas. Your way of getting back to, to on good terms with your wife may work just getting that rose or chocolate one time. But if you're living inconsistent and you're just counting on those birthdays and anniversaries, let me tell you something. That don't get you out of jail. That don't get you out of trouble. You have got to learn to live the lifestyle every single day. Then those romantic things you do, the cards, the gifts, all of that is a cherry on top. Can I get an amen for some women? Wouldn't you much rather have a man that loved you 24-7 and maybe needed a little help being a Casanova, but you knew that he always put you first, opened doors for you, treated you nicely in public, and made you feel like you were special, the star shining in his sky? Wouldn't you love that? Can you say amen? So I'm just trying to help out all the guys here because when we think of romance, we think of some romantic comedy and you putting together this whole scheme and showing you you love her. I mean, that's great. Do that. That's fine. But you have to live it every day. And loving her as Jesus loved the church says it all. Sacrificing, putting her first. If she's tired, taking care of the chores so she can rest. She's doing more than you and I can ever imagine because if she's a mama as well as your wife, she's doing more than what they say is two full-time jobs put together. They say the full-time mom works more than two full-time jobs put together. Let's just give it up for all the mamas in the house. Amen. I'm winning some points right now. I'm doing it. Praise the Lord. He's like, he's a good pastor. See, I told you to come to church. Okay, so now women, before you just flaunt it like a peacock and just have him step down so you can step on him. Now the Bible says something to you. The Bible says to you women that you are now to honor him as Christ does the church or as the, as the church does Jesus. Now let me ask you a question. Does the church nag on Jesus? Oh, it gets quiet now, ladies. Come on. You see, you are supposed to respect him now because you, because remember the model is the husband is like Jesus and you're like the church. So he's supposed to love you as the church, but now you're supposed to respect him as Jesus, as the church respects him. So that means we don't want no nagging church. Amen. Come on, man. Can I just get amen? Don't be afraid. Men, don't get afraid on me now. Don't back down. We need some men that can be men and be respectable. And women, when you get behind your man and make him feel like he is the mighty conquistador, when you make, he fixed that doorknob, he shoveled the driveway, and you just tell him, you're so good, baby. 
You're the best man I could ever. Let me give you a back rub. Take off his shoes, massage his feet. You are earning for yourself a whole bunch of I love yous. He'll tell you I love you until Jesus comes back. But if you put down that man, if you put him down in public, if, if while he's talking, you slap him and say, shut up, honey, you don't know what you're talking about. You are committing some big crimes right there. Hello? If, if, if you let your girlfriends know who's really wearing the pants in the family, if you have that type of attitude and you just want to snip, snip him off, or you know what I'm talking about, not to get vulgar, but you want to take them off and put them in your purse, and you want to make your man like a little obedient little puppy, that ain't going to work for you. So women, this is all you got to do is just make the men feel like they are Superman. Just tell them how awesome they are. The first four minutes of every day will determine how the rest of your day goes as a couple. So women, when you see your man wake up in the morning, just say, you are a good-looking stud. I love you, baby. And you know your man will fluff his hair. Thank you. Thank you. That's it. He's yours. He's, He's going to be yours for the rest of that day. He's going to love you and treat you so good. But if you nag at him, that's when those fights start. So that's what the Bible's talking about. The woman wants this outward expression of love and security, and the man wants the outward expression of respect and honor. You can say, I mean it here, honey, or or, husband, I mean it here, but it needs to be an outward expression. Amen? And now moving on to the children. When we look at the union that a husband and wife make, the children become a part of this. And so if the husband and wife are right, it's so much easier to teach the children what is right. And then they are commanded to obey their parents. Everybody say amen. So children, you are commanded to obey your parents. So elevate. Amen. You are commanded to obey your mom and dad and to honor them. And the Bible says that you will have a long life if you do. And all the parents say amen. Because, you know, sometimes I just want to kill them. I just want to slap them down, bury them in the backyard, and make another one just like them, and nobody will know. Maybe I've hung around too many parents, Lord, forgive me, telling on myself and somebody else. Amen. So what we need to understand as parents is that also we don't want to embitter our children, which means to provoke them to anger. We don't want to be so hard on them that we don't compliment them to where they feel it's never good enough. So saying to your daughter she can't be interested in guys until she's 35, it's not the way to go because what she'll eventually do is she'll do it behind your back. Now, children, that does not give you the permission to date behind your parents' back, but I'm trying to help you, so you've got to be obedient until the parents get it. Parents, set an age. It's whatever age you want. But make it reasonable so that when they're in your house, they experience the growth and trials with you. If you keep this so obscure, so far away, they'll do it behind your back without you, and then the pain and things they suffer, you won't be able to coach them through it. So the way a parent should lead is through an open relationship, through God and maturity. It's not letting them do whatever they want. It is having guards on their entertainment. Right now the Internet is such a dangerous place for young people. You want to guard that parents? You want to guard their Facebooks? When I was just looking on Google, when I was just looking on Google for for neighbor and friends, I put in the word multicultural friends, okay? So I go to Google to find that image. Pornography came up on Google. Are you guys listening to me? I just put in there multicultural friends, pushed Google into looking at images, and there were some multicultural friends. It was getting a little crazy, amen? Don't you try it at home either, Bubba. I got my eye on you now, okay? But, I mean, that's how dangerous the Internet is. So, parents, you do need to be there like a watchful hawk. 
You need to watch what they do on their phone. And then, young people, you need to be very open and honest with your parents. You need to share with them the temptations that you're facing. I I will be 100% candid with you. One of the biggest problems that I had is that when I started experimenting with drugs, I never let my parents know. Now, most of you would say, well, duh, you know, you were trying to hide that. But I look back on that, even if I would have still been honest, they would have said, we know what's going on because this is what happened. When I started doing drugs, I started having fun. And in my mind, drugs was bad and bad things hurt. So it was a confusion. It was confusion to me that a bad thing would feel good. And I ended up experiencing it over time that drugs start off fun. Drugs and alcohol have a momentary pleasure, but then they turn into addictions. And then the pain goes deeper. And before you know it, you're in the grasp of it and you can never get out of it. And so I'm trying to help every young person here. Your parents would rather you be honest about things they're not happy about than for you to go through it by yourself and suffer in the ways that I did and the things that I felt in life I never should have had to go through if I just would have talked to my parents. Amen? So I want to tell you kids, young people, some of the things you should talk to your parents about. Your sexual identity. Right now that's being questioned. Everywhere you go, gay, straight, bi, curious, whatever. Talk to your parents about what makes the birds and the bees. Be open about that. Next thing, be open about your friends. I know sometimes you you feel that if you tell your parents they won't let you hang out with your friends. But listen, you know down deep inside, young people, that some of those friends will get you in trouble. And the best thing you can say to your friends is, my mom said it, that settles it, and it's over. That way they know it had nothing to do with you. Your mom said it, and you can still walk away saving face, but you put it on your mom, and your parents would love to be the one that you put it on. Because there are some people you need to get away from. And if you just say, my mom said I can't hang out with you, sorry, then that just ends it. Well, you know, that's it. Another thing that you want to be honest about is the things that you're experimenting right now. There's a lot of new things out there. I'm not just talking about drugs. There's these things that people are doing, extreme sports, jumping off a building. All of the things that you're experimenting, tell your parents, amen. And all the parents said, amen. And that's why we have a youth group. Now, if you're a single person today and you're saying, Pastor, how do I relate this single as a single young woman or young adult? I'm glad that you asked. I have a book in the back called Date Like a Christian Made Just for You. $6.99 plus shipping and handling. Pick it up in the back and it will change your life. But let me summarize this for all single adults. Single adults, here it is. You are married to Jesus. Amen. Men, there ain't nothing wrong for you to say, I'm in love with a man. And his name is Jesus. And women, it sounds a lot more cuter, doesn't it? I'm in love with a man. His name is Jesus. It's okay. But but guys, you got to say it too. Amen, Noah? You in love with a man. You love you some Jesus. Praise God. And this is what it's like. What it's like is everything you need emotionally from a relationship you get from God. And this is not your make-believe friend Casper coming into your room. This is the real deal. Seriously, single people. I was single for a long time. For about eight years, I thought I was going to be the bachelor to the rapture. I didn't know if I was ever going to get married. I thought maybe right when I was going to get married, the trumpet was going to sound, bring them on up, guys, and I was just going to miss it. But I'm glad that I made it. Amen. So I was single for almost 10 years, almost, uh, you know, between 8 and 10 years. I have to think about it right now to get you the actual number, but it was a long time. It felt like a long time. 10 years, let's just say 10 years. Somebody say, that's a long time. A lot of cold showers, 
A lot of walks with the headphones on. I can see Jesus. Holy, holy. Because people ask me, how do you get your mind off the burning in the bosom? I just feel it, Pastor. I just feel it. Testosterone. I feel it. Feel like making love. Boom. Boom. You see, I'll just keep it real with y'all just for a minute, okay? There ain't nothing wrong. Yes, there is something wrong. There is something wrong if you're making love, bumping the grind, and you ain't married. Amen? And let me just tell you, parents, if you're about ready to plug the ears of your teenagers, say, he's just gone too far. I haven't even gone as far as a PG movie. I haven't even gone as far as that sitcom that you have on when you have dinner. I haven't even said anything close to PG-13. So what you do is you make alone time with God. Seriously, you get lost in your love for Jesus. When those emotions and physiological things begin to happen in your body, pray. Get around your friends. Distract yourself from the distraction of getting in a relationship that's not right. Because you would rather be happy single than unhappy in a relationship. And everybody here who's had their heart broken and been in crazy relationships is already clapping because they know. So just stay single. And here's the two things you need to understand. You're single for a reason, and you're single for a season. The reason is between you and God. He'll explain it to you. One of the reasons why I was single for 10 years, and my friends were getting married after two or three years of salvation, was because I did not know how to treat a lady. I had gone to clubs. I had corrupted my mind with years of pornography, years of, uh, you know, in-and-out relationships. And God wanted to transform me so that when I would just hold a girl's hand, it would give me those, you know, goosebumps, oobly-woobly's, he wanted to change the perverted man into a man of God. And if I would have tried to have gotten to a relationship sooner, I wouldn't have been a good man. So the reason for me was that maybe your reason is different. Maybe God's got to heal your heart, help you get over your past, etc. You're single for a reason. Embrace the reason and change. And then the second thing is you're single for a season. The Bible says only some of y'all will be single the rest of your lives. No, I'm just kidding. But the Bible says if you choose it, you can. Some people just got scared. I might be the one. Pastor. I've actually had people come up to me and say that, Pastor. I think God chose me to be single and I'm scared. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I'm like, it's okay. Two months later, they were dating again. But I know sometimes we get scared like that. If you choose, the Bible says he'll choose those who want to be single. So if you're in your heart, you're just like, I want to be single, God will use that. But if you have a desire to marry, the Bible says it will happen. So the season is for that reason. So hang on as long as it takes. And sometimes it will seem too long. Sometimes you'll think that God forgot all about you. But that's exactly where he wants you to be. And I know in our church we have a lot of people that are starting over again, single moms and dads. That is okay. This is a place to find that person in the right time. Amen? And that person may be sitting right next to you right now, but don't look and make it obvious. Don't don't make it obvious right now, single people. Just play it off. Play it cool. Play it cool, okay? Because they might be sitting right next to you right now. Okay, praise God. Everybody say family. Amen. So you got to love your family. There's some helpful hints on that. Friends. Everybody just say friends. Amen. Friends, the Bible say, are brought there to be our companions, to carry the burdens of life with us. Here's how you can look at friends. Draw some circles like a target, a bullseye on your piece of paper right now. Draw about four of them. The biggest outside circle is the people in your community. Everybody say community. 
Now, this is not community as strangers. This is community as in people you would recognize. If you saw them at the gym, you would say, hey, don't, don't you go to the Metro Praise? I think I saw you over there that one day. These are people that you would recognize that you know. They're in your community. The second one, these are the people who are committed to you. Maybe you've switched numbers with them. Maybe you guys have already hung out. You guys have begun to spend some time together. But, you, you know, you don't hang out all the time. You're not BFFs or anything, okay? The next one is, uh, after committed, is core. Somebody say core. These are the group of friends that you share life with right now. They are the ones that you really have in your life that you would probably go out to church, uh, out to dinner with after church today. These are people that you enjoy being with. And then the last one, everybody, uh, did I say, what is it, crowd, uh, community, committed, core is the third one. Amen. And then the last one is heart. Just put heart. I can't think of the other C. The last one is heart because I think I, I switched crowd and community, but it's okay. Here's the bottom line. The last one will have your heart. In your life, you will only have about one or two people that will be at the core part of who you are. Now, here's the thing. In those circles, people will come in and people will come out. And the thing is, is that sometimes the best thing you can do for people is let them have the gift of goodbye to move in and out of those circles. The way my friend looked at it is he said, some people you'll write a verse with in the Bible. Other people you'll share a chapter with. Other people you'll have a book. Other people you'll have the whole Old New Testament. There are some people that you're just going to have moments with, and they're going to stay outside in that community. You're just going to know who they are. Others are going to get into that part that's committed to you. And let's just make it three. Let's just, instead of calling the heart course, let's make it three today. And, and then there are other people that will be in that core. Now, when we run into problems is when we ask people to be something that they cannot be. When somebody is not close to you or reciprocating the relationship back to you as you're giving it, you're saying to them, you're a core friend, but they're saying back to you, I'm just a committed friend. And when they talk about you behind the back or they hurt you, they're not acting like a committed friend. They're acting like somebody that should be out in your community, somebody you just say hi to every now and then. The best thing that I've ever learned in life is that when I move in and out of those circles with people, God always brings me the right ones at the right time. And so right now, look in your heart and maybe count off who are those core people? Who are those people that have shared some years with you, some time, and some people that you would just open your life as a book for? And then think of people in your life that, yeah, you hang out with them. It may go to core or it may, it may go back to uh, community, but they're just important to you, but you're not going to open up everything that you have to them. And then lastly, the community. Think about people that you share life with, whether it's a small group, whether it's the, the co-workers, and give each one of those people permission to be who they're supposed to be. When I notice that people are struggling in their friendships, it's when they want people in the community to be their core. Or when they want people in their core to do things like in their community. That's why you've got to be careful on how you choose your friends. And the Bible then says this, that if you choose your friends wisely, you will have friends sticks closer to you than, they do to, than your brother. You will have close relationships. And I'll just share one personal story with this. I grew up with a young man. He was my best friend. He was in my core. He's been one of the, t I've only had about three best friends. Everybody say, oh, that's what I'm talking about. Core is very special. Core is a very, very, very special relationship. And so we grew up together. We went to church together. We kissed girls in the church bathroom together. Everybody say, oh, no. Okay, so we were in some trouble, and we got in trouble together. He's the one that got me doing drugs, and he was a Christian, all this. But guess what happened? Eventually, he became a Christian. I did, and we went our separate ways. Then I became a Christian, and then we became friends and built back that core relationship. 
But over time, we began to separate. And I began to feel lonely because I would call him and he wouldn't call me back. And then I would want to talk about my problems, but all he would want to talk about is all the cool things he's doing everywhere. You know what I'm saying, dude? And I'd be like, man, when do I get to share my problems? And I began to feel like really hurt because this was my boy. This was the guy I grew up with. This is one of my core friends. But now we're not close like we used to be. And I'm hurting. And I began to talk to him about it. And he wasn't even hurting. It was no big deal. You know why? Because other people had become a part of his core life that he was sharing all those things with. And he wasn't understanding why I was feeling lonely because he was feeling like all of his needs were being met. So you know what I had to do? I had to then give him the gift of goodbye and say, goodbye, core friend. We'll just be committed now. And guess what, guess what God did? God then brought in other core friends. And that's just what I want to encourage you to do. Don't try to hold on to places and relationships where people don't fit naturally. And if you're feeling that people are hurting you, offending you, not helping you accelerate, then find those that do. Because there's three different types of people in your life. There's people that are going to tolerate you. Everybody say tolerate. Then there's going to be people who appreciate. Everybody say appreciate. And then lastly, everybody say accelerate. And you can look at those three things in the, in the relationships. There's just going to be some community people maybe that just tolerate you. There's going to be some community, community uh, committed people, and they're going to uh, appreciate you. But then that core group inside your life is going to accelerate you, and that's going to help you go to where you need to go. Those are the friendships that the Bible talks about, David and Jonathan, Ruth and Naomi. Amen? Amen. Lastly, community. These are total strangers. How many wish all the total strangers out there would look like that? Hey, how, how many wish that on the highway today they would just be like that? Hey, guys. Hey, what's going on? Doing good. I'm just a community person. I'm just a stranger. But I smile. I think we should be those people. How many want to be those crazy people that everybody loves? It's just something about them. They just smile all the time. I don't know why. Smile. Okay. Now, community are total strangers. We don't even know them, and you just don't know when you're going to run into them. But when you run into them, you need to treat them as you would yourself. So think about all the different places you run into people who are strangers. First, let's start with your job. You spend a lot of time there. So you need to love the people on your job. Maybe you're in a place where you work directly with customers. The customer is a stranger. Well, you have these protocols that you have to follow, and you have to love them, don't you? Come on, you got to love those customers. I talked to some people that have worked in the telephone business, like, uh, you know, cell phone businesses, and they've had to work with customer care. I think, Jonathan, that was you. And I just say, God bless you for working in customer care because it is tough, isn't it? Because sometimes we call them up and we don't treat them as we want to be treated, do we? It gets quiet when I preach like that. You need to treat those total strangers as if they were your own daughter. I think of an example like this. A pastor, he was going to the airport. He was catching a plane. The plane was running late. Everything was getting lost. His luggage, everything was crazy. And he just walked up to the steward, uh, the, you know, the lady behind the counter, and he said, listen to me. We're going to solve this problem, and we're going to solve it now. And all of a sudden she was like, pastor? Because he had a big church of 20,000, and he didn't recognize it. And she goes, Pastor, are you pastor of such and such church? Seriously. He said the story. He said, yes. She said, I go to your church every week. I sit way in the back. You don't know. He said conviction came like that. And then God told him, why don't I treat everybody as if they were my member? So that's a good word for pastors. Amen. How about you treat everybody like they were your friend? Would you treat the coworker like that or the stranger? That, no, you wouldn't. You would treat them differently with, if you were their friend. Another place that we meet strangers, not just on the job, but we meet them a lot of times when things go wrong. 
Take, for example, my wife and I uh, have a backyard with no fence, okay? No fence. And my friend said fences make good neighbors, and I found that out now, okay? So our backyard goes right into their backyard because the people who used to live there were BFFs. And they're just like, come on over. It's cool, okay? Let's share our stuff together. So one day Nancy's playing around, and she sees on our property, was it a little bird bath or something? A little birdhouse. You know little things where birds can come in there and eat? And Bethany goes and finds it. It's some little cute thing. Bethany picks it up and starts walking around with it. And then she puts it somewhere where it wasn't before. But it's on our property, okay? This thing was on our property. And my wife thought it was just our landlord because he own, we own, we own a rent a house and he owns it. And he'll come by and put stuff out there sometimes and he likes it. And so the woman of the next door neighbor, uh, she comes over. She starts yelling at my wife. Doesn't even really wait for explanations. She is assumes that that we were stealing it or doing something wrong with the bird thing, right? Am I telling this true story? Like what we were doing with it in her mind that would be wrong, I don't know. But we violated this bird thing. Okay. Trust me, it gets a lot better than this. So her and my wife have a basically a falling out over the bird thing, okay? And she kept it on our property. So I come home, and you know me, I'm going to be the man now because my wife has built me up. I'm a conquistador. I can take on Bulldog and UFC fight. I can take on anybody now. Amen? So, you know, I, I run up in there, and I, I started off calm. I, somebody say he tried. So I tried. I certainly did try. I said, excuse me, um, that bird thing is on our property. If you don't want my daughter touching it, just put it onto your property. Well, then that's when she started cursing. Amen. And I just heard the curse words go. I heard the F-bombs drop on me just like Hiroshima. Push, push, push. And I'm just sitting there going, dear God, keep me saved. Keep me saved. About ready to set down my ordination for a minute and tell her what it T.I. is like, what it's like, baby. So then she starts screaming at me. Then she says, get off my property now. I'm going to call the police. I'm going to call the police. Now, this is probably where I made a mistake. Some people might have thought I was smart. I don't know. But that's when I pulled out my phone and I said, just keep talking, sister. I'm going to record it when they get here. So I got her and then I got her saying, you can kiss my ass. And then she walked away. Yes, it does happen to pastors. So she wasn't. She wasn't waving to me that day. Is there a good ending to the story? Not yet. Pray for us. Pray for us. There's now electric fences with landmines between us. We have now kidnapped the bird thing. We've sent her the ransom note. She's not ever seeing it again. We're going to play like that. But honestly, what do we have to do? We actually, there is somewhat of a good side. We had to forgive her. And then I started trying to talk to her, and she told me she can, you know, I can talk to all these other parts of her body. But I did tell her I was sorry, and I told her that I love her, and I told her that I'm going to pray for her. Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus. Come on. There's your example today. Amen. Okay, so here's how we're going to love people. That was the introduction. Somebody say, I'm ready. Somebody say, bring it, bring it, bring it. Amen. Here's the message to help others in their times of need and to preach the gospel to them. This is how we're going to love them. Just write these down today. I won't keep you too much longer after this. The Bible says that we are to love them at all times. First Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love hopes. Love trusts. Love never fails. 
Keep love for people in your heart at all times. Showing love. We love the scripture, John 3, 16, where it said, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But did you know the same apostle John wrote another book called 1 John, and actually 3.16 says the same thing, but it says it differently. It says, now knowing the great love that Christ had for us, you ought to love your neighbor by laying down your life for them. See, John 3.16 says, Jesus loved you so much he died for you. 1 John 3.16 says, now you ought to lay down your life for each other. Isn't that awesome? How about this? Helping the hurting, Luke chapter 10, 25, tells the story of the Good Samaritan. How many have heard that story? Great. About 10 of you. Can we start Sunday school class today, like next week or something? We're going to get out the flannel graph. Here's the man. Here he was. Okay. Anybody ever heard of the Good Samaritan? Okay. Long story short. A man is traveling, he gets hurt, he gets beat up. Religious people pass him by, don't even help him. But a Samaritan comes by. Samaritans were, were uh, persecuted. They were, people were prejudiced towards them, and yet he still helped his own enemy. He put him on his horse. The Bible says with oil and wine and medicine, he gave it to him. He then brought him to an inn, paid for him to have a place to stay, and came back to check on him. That's how we are to look after others. When you really love people, you're going to care for them. Now, before we get burdened with all the cares of the world and all these infomercials about starving children, I know once your heart gets soft to loving people, it's hard to know where and when and how. So how I ask you to do it as a pastor is help the hurting here. Start in this church. Start in a place where you can see your reward in front of you, meaning adopt a blocks on Saturdays. If you really want to help the poor and needy children, go Go to the Adopt-A-Block. Give to them. I have nothing against if you want to support the African cause, and I know there's so many good ones out there, but really start right here. Who's going to help the West Side? Who's going to go out there and give them some food and clothes because a lot of them come from hard economic times? Are you listening to me? And then how about our teenagers? Maybe some of you are saying the teenagers, they're struggling today. They have a lot of problems. I remember when there was a school shooting at Shores High School. I lived right by there. You know what I did? I just went out there the next day with flyers, and I invited them all to church. Start right here within your community. Don't make the excuse and say, well, there's so much, you know, uh, hurt and pain out there. I don't know where to start. No, start right here. There's places to volunteer right here. We went out there Thanksgiving to the Adopt-A-Block. We're going to go out there this summer. Basketball turns, children's ministry. Starting in Easter, we're going to have the Royal Rangers and Missionette Clubs for children. You know, we have outreaches to Wicker Park on Saturdays, and we reach homeless. Here in the community Saturday afternoons, they bring out hot chocolate. Raise up your hands, hot chocolate crew. Amen. If you've ever done it, it's fun. You can help people right now and here. Amen. And then giving to the needy. Let's just see that because it is so important. Acts chapter 4, verse 34. The Bible talks about a church that doesn't look much like the ones we see today. The Bible talks about a church that actually was more concerned about others than it was about the pastor's salary and how the church carpet looked and the fountains in front. And I pray as the pastor of this church that God will give us back this heart. Amen. I really do pray for this. This is my heart. Acts 4, 34. It says, there were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the, sale from the, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So is it strange if I come to this church and I ask, does anybody have an apartment for Paula and Marcio as they're having their children right now, and they come from Brazil and he wants to work in the church? Is there anything wrong with me asking that in this church? 
Is there anything wrong if someone here has problem paying their bills or groceries, them coming and talking to us and us helping them? No, we're here to help people. And that's what this church is here to do. I know a lot of us here are not in those places of need, but there are a lot more out there that are, and we need to help them and find them. Amen? So what's the first way? We love them by meeting their needs. To love with action and truly help people in their time of need, I want to encourage you to find a place to do that at your job. I want to encourage you to do that wherever you go. And then today, uh, brother, this is not working. Can you click it? I want to talk to you about preaching the gospel. Everybody say, preach the gospel. Now, I want to show you right here, preaching the gospel. You must preach the gospel. You have no choice but to preach it. If you can hold in the message of salvation, you're not saved. I'm going to say that again. Everybody get me. Here's a, here's a very good thermometer test. We're going to give it to you right now, okay? Uh, put it in. Here it is. If you care about other people getting saved, chances are you are saved. If you don't care about other people getting saved, chances are you are not saved. Because if you really knew Jesus, you would want other people to know Jesus. We're not talking about religion and joining your church. We're talking about eternal souls going to heaven. First Corinthians says, woe unto me if I don't preach. And that would be true for you. Woe unto you if you don't tell people about Jesus. Woe unto you if you had the, key, uh, the cure for cancer and AIDS and you didn't give it to anybody. Wouldn't that be a problem? Look at your neighbor and say, that would be a problem. If somebody in your family had age and your neighbor had the cure and they didn't give it to you, that would be a problem. Paul said, woe unto me if I don't preach. Jude chapter 1 verse 22 talks about different approaches in preaching. And these are things we get into our discipleship class, so I don't have to get into everyone in depth. But the Bible says, yes, there is times to be nice, to be merciful, and, and then there's other times to grab people by the back of the neck and say, get the hell out of here. Because if you don't get the hell out, you're going to hell. You see, listen to me. Hell's a real place, people. It's not a swear word for me. Hell is a real place. You need to get the hell out your home. You need to get the hell out your media and entertainment. If it's okay for you to watch witchcraft, listen to perversion, you have some hell in your house that will bring you hell to hell. The Bible says it. The Bible says bad company corrupts good character. Be careful about what you do in life. So I'm giving you both approaches. Preach like Jesus, Matthew 4, 17. The Bible says Jesus went and said, repent, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Does anybody want to repent of their sins? Does anybody want to turn to God? That's the message of the gospel. And then make disciples. Just don't tell somebody, hey, you're living in sin. Make a change. Teach them how to live differently. You don't just hire an employee and say, now that you're hired, just do what you want. We don't just say, now you're a Christian, just do what you want. You learn how to please God, and pleasing God does bless your life. Amen? So to preach the gospel, preach repentance of sins and faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, you have got to tell somebody about that. Now I want to give you three illustrations that talk about this. Everybody say, Dr. Feelgood. Okay, there's three ways that you can tell people about Jesus. The first way is Dr. Feelgood. He sometimes talks with a southern accent. He just wants you to feel good. Does everybody here feel good today? Did we keep you in church too long? I'm so sorry because I want you to feel good. just want you to all feel good. See, see, when you have a cancer, you know something's wrong, right? You know, I don't feel right, doctor. I got something in my stomach. Now, you see, Dr. Feelgood doesn't want to cause any trouble with you. He wants you to be his friend. He wants you to keep on smiling. So what Dr. Feelgood says is, hey. Hey, no, you just got a little stomach ache. You just ate a little bit too much pizza last night. You're going to be okay. Look at your neighbor's smile and say, it's going to be okay. 
You see, because Dr. Feelgood doesn't want to rattle your cage. He wants you to keep tithing. And what happens in churches like this is when you come to the church, it's all about you, 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 you. How to be rich, how to be a millionaire, how to be successful. Do you feel happy? We don't want to keep you very long. We want to have presentations that just make you feel so giddy on the inside. Don't worry about us telling you about sin because you're okay. You're okay. You're okay. Jesus loves you. Nobody's perfect. We're all human. Okay. Everybody look at your name and say, okay. See, but here's the problem with doctor. Feel good. You feel good, but you still have cancer. You go to the church. You had a good time. You were there for 20 minutes. You all had your lattes, but you still have sin in your life. Dr. Feelgood is not a good doctor. So for those of you, this is your first real examination. This is your first church with a doctor who loves you. I'm sorry, Dr. Feelgood made, it, made you feel so good in your sin. I don't want you to feel good in your sin. If you're living in adultery, if you're living in drunkenness and partying, if you're denying God with your actions by what you listen to and what you do, my friends, you are in a lot of trouble. And I would rather you not feel good like a doctor poking around and go, oh, there it is, so we can operate on you and God can change you than you to walk out here believing a devil's lie. Amen? Now, at the same time, what do you got next? You got Dr. Angry. Everybody go, Angry. Now, you see, Dr. Angry, he just, wanna t- he just wants to tell you, you are in trouble. You're going to die. I saw you. You have cancer, and there's no hope, and I'm so angry that you got it. Why did you come here? And then you look at people in the church. You go to these type of churches. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. Your neighbor's going to hell. Your dog's going to hell. You're all going to burn. We're so angry at you. We're so angry. I can't even do it. But you get my point. We're so angry. That's like the doctor saying, I'm so angry you have cancer. You're so dumb. You're so dumb. You're dumb. How would you do that? See, Dr. Angry does nothing to fix the problem. We're not just standing on street corners yelling at people, you're going to hell. We're not just telling you, you're going to hell. We're telling you the truth, but we're not doing it out of anger. We love you. This is not Dr. Angry, so don't get mad at your neighbors when you're loving on them and you're, like, trying to talk to them and say, no, really, you should come to church. No, I'll just go to my, my church this Sunday or, no, I'm going to watch the game. Okay, let me tell you the truth. You're going to go to hell, and you're going to go there right now. I'm tired of messing with you. You're going to hell. God bless you, brother. Now you know. There is a way to go from Dr. Happy, Dr. Feelgood, to Dr. Angry. And everybody get ready to look at this guy from ER. Somebody say, Dr. Truth. You see, Dr. Truth sees your cancer. He comes in. He's not giggling. He's not laughing because he knows you're not saved. And he tells you the truth. Yes, there are sins in your life. Things that the Bible says will keep you from God. And these things must be checked. You have to change these things. But if you do, there's hope. And you can be healed. And you can live a good life. Somebody say, Dr. Truth. Amen. I'm going to ask that Andrew would find uh, Adolfo. Would you, uh, Andrew, will you go help Adolfo? I have a video I want to play for you guys today that I think expresses this heart better than anything else about what it means to love God and love people. So just bear with me. It's only a few minutes long, and then we're going to pray. But as you're getting the video, it's going to be the next slide, brother. You'll see it. I want to really encourage you with this. If a church doesn't love God and love people, what is it doing? Last week we talked about loving God. It is the most important thing we do. 
I don't know if anybody got to check that website out, IamSecond.com, but take a look at it. Some of the best sports stars, actors are all there, and they're saying, God is first and I'm second. And today, if we don't love people in this church, what are we doing? If we don't reach out to the hurting, if we don't reach out to our neighbors, and if we don't really help them find Jesus and help them in their times of need, what did we come here for in the first place? There was a story, and I want to get the video, nod to me before you start, and I want to make sure I lead into this. There was a story one time of a man being led to a death sentence because he committed some heinous crimes. And this was back in the day when the priest would come and read you your last rites. And he said to the person who had committed these crimes, do you want your last rites? You know, basically, do you want to say your prayer of confession so that this sin doesn't go with you to heaven? And, and the guy said, why would I want to pray? Yeah, get out of my face. I don't want to pray. And then the priest, you know, he looked at him. He said, listen, you know, if you don't pray, you can go to hell. You'll be in hell for eternity. And the man looked at him and he said, you don't believe in hell. I can tell by looking at your eyes. He said, if I believed in hell, I would crawl on my knees, hands and foot on my knees, all the way down to a hundred miles on glass just to help one person not go there. You, you, people don't think we're serious about hell because we don't cry and weep for them. We don't reach out to They don't understand how much this place is really just a testing ground for eternity. And it is about what we do. If we don't tell the world that they have cancer, I'm not talking screaming and yelling at them. I'm saying if we don't do it for them, one day, listen to me, one day you're going to get to heaven and you're going to see how beautiful it is. And you're going to see all that God promised. And one of the saddest things you'll ever see is the people you love not going there with you. And the Bible says on that day there will be much weeping and wailing because you'll never see them again. Is that video ready? This comes from one of my favorite movies. Some of you have seen it, Schindler's List. You're going to get the point here. The point is just one more. What would one soul be worth in the kingdom of God? Watch this, and then we'll pray. Because of what you did, I didn't do it. 
Zeit mit der Kiesekarte. Let's all stand up together. Band, would you come, please? What do you think it's going to be like on the day of eternity when we see really what it was all about? When you realize that there's a heaven and there's a hell and it's not a game, are you going to be able to say, I did everything God wanted me to do? I loved them the way God wanted me to love them. Or are you going to say, I wish I would have gotten one more? I wish I would have talked to my coworker. I wish I would have just helped one more person. I could keep you here today with stories all, all night long, all the way to next week. About how just helping people brings them to Jesus. Just helping them. Reaching out to them. You're seeing the pictures of the adopter block. Those of you who are on Facebook, we had 11 children because now we're bringing the adopter block here into this building. 11 children from the inner city of the west side that are being loved on today because we want one more, one more to go to heaven. One more. It's worth it. What are you doing? Reach out to people. Reach out to people. You might say, I don't know where to start, Pastor. Well, start here. Start by bringing somebody to that winter retreat so their life can be changed. Start by being trained as a disciple so you can know what you're talking about when somebody is there trying to give you their best excuse so you can answer them and say, no, that's not true. There is a God. There is a God. I can teach you about Him. And we live in a society where we have so much, but yet we've become so stingy. We give more to dog food than we do to the foreign nations of the world. If you don't believe me, just look at Petco. Who keeps that in business, people? Huge pet store just for our pets. There was a picture in India. Turn her up just a little bit, please. There was a picture in India that Pastor Amit told us about. He said there was a child that was orphaned and had lost their parents. And they were receiving the milk from the teat of a dog. And they took the picture. And they said the dog becomes the boy's mother. That's why I don't show you exploitative pictures here. Because I'm not going to exploit that picture. But my friends, those of you who have traveled to other countries, you understand. We, we have so much pain and hurt around this world. And yet all we want sometimes is just to make us happy. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. 
You wouldn't let your children go through these things. You would help them. You wouldn't let somebody struggling in your family with homosexuality go through it alone. Well, go out and find somebody at Belmont and Clark so they know they're not alone. You wouldn't want somebody to to leave you in the hardest time of your life. That's why the Bible says we need a jail ministry to visit people in prison to go preach to them. Yes, I'm passionate about it. I've given my life to this. And my passion is that if I can give one more and you give one more, that's now two. And then it multiplies because I can't do it alone. This is the start of a new year. I'm not, no pyrotechnics, no tricks. Here it is. Let's love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And let us love our neighbor as ourselves. Let's pray. God, we ask you in this room today that there'll be lovers of God and there'll be lovers of people that will stop being so self-centered that it will become about others. Prayer workers, would you come, please? We're going to dismiss in just a few moments. But before we do, we're going to pray for you. The first group we're going to pray for is you may be here today and you may say, Pastor, nobody's loved me yet. Nobody's really told me about Jesus. I have pain in my life. I have problems. We're going to pray for you today. We're going to love you through your problems today. Your pastor has given you his personal cell phone number on every brochure, every business card, on the sign on this road. To prove it to you, you won't go through it alone. There is a church here for you. And then secondly, if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, there is just a call on my life to help hurting people. I want to do it more than I've ever done it before. I want to be prayed for that I can make a difference in people's life. Maybe it starts in your family. Maybe it's in your friendships. Maybe it's in the community, the job, the places you go. We want to pray for you today. So if you fit into those two categories, either you just need Jesus or you want someone to pray for you so that you can share Jesus. As I begin to pray in the band place, I want you to come today. Don't be ashamed. This is your chance for God to fill you with His love. Father, I pray right now that love will fill this place. That love would fill the hearts of every man, woman, and child. That today, God, you would save those who need saving. And that, God, you would use us to save souls for you. Band, would you play and sing, and then we'll dismiss. Give us a few moments today, friends. Don't be impatient today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for love. Come on, if you came here with a friend and you don't think they know the Lord, bring them up. Bring them up. We'll pray for them. Don't be shy. Don't be embarrassed. This is a time of prayer. Jesus, Lord, can use me. I give myself. Jesus. Oh God. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord.
Those who are at their seats, would you hold your neighbor's hand, hand right now? And as they keep singing, just begin to pray for them right now. Pray that God will let them love like they've never loved before. If it's your friend or family next to you, you know their name. Just call out their name and say, God, help them love. Help Caesar love. Help Jessica. Help them reach out to their family and friends. Father, God, help Diana and Juan today to live the life you've called them to live. God, use Derek. Use Barbara Moore, God, for the missions. Use Marcio. Use the Algeria family today, God. Jesus, you know your bride, God. You know your church. We pray for each other. God, use Lola and her family. Use Jonathan, God, as a young person. Use us, Lord. Use Stephanie and all of her friends and family. Otto and Jenny, God. Noah, Sammy, and Sammy, God, use them today. Come on, pray for each other. Just say, God, use us. We can make a difference. Raphael, his wife today, come on. We're lifting up prayer today for you. Berto and Griselda, the Carrasco family, the Lopez family. Use them, Jesus, the Riveras. Oh, use Adam. Use the youth group. Jasmine, Nathaniel, Dodie, Ma, Jason. Jesus, use them. Cynthia, the Rodan Cruz family, Lord. We're asking today, God. We're asking today. Use Jerry, Lord, to pour out your love. Agnes, Father God. Christine, Jesus. Juan. Use the Ohio Park community, God. Paulette. Use her, God. Use Ken today, Jesus. Angel and his friends, Lord. God, I know I can't say all their names, but use this church, God. Use my family. Use us. Use us. Pour us out for you. One more. It's worth it for one more. Hallelujah. We're going to dismiss. If you need to fellowship, praise God. Thank you. But we're just going to pray today that everybody will do something for somebody. That today you'll do more than you ever have. And that love for people will flow through you. It's not always easy. Let it start with your husband and wife and children. Let it come to your friends and the people around you. But whatever you do, help others and tell them about Jesus. Lord, I thank you today for this church. And I thank you, God, for a group of people that love you. And they do love their neighbors. Lord, help us to do it more this week. Help it to be the vision of our year. And at this retreat, God, let our friends and family come and meet in us. Do more in us than you ever have. Go deeper. I need a fresh touch from you, God. I need so much more. I know there's more. I just pray, God, that others will receive it. And let us live that vision, loving God, loving people, whatever the cost, whatever it takes. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Can you bless the Lord? Hallelujah. If you're still praying, keep praying. You're welcome to come up and worship. We'll pray for any needs you have. The cafe's open. God bless you. I want to pray for my friend today. Come. Assalamu alaikum. Come, my friend. Come. Alhamdulillah. I'm going to pray for you. Jesus. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.